everybody. Welcome to Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am Jeff. I'm here as usual. Also joining me as usual is uh, my buddy from the Pacific Northwest, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome to this landmark episode. You know, Jeff, I, I think you're either really excited for this episode or I have my headphones turned on too loud. And uh, I checked and it's my headphones. No big deal here. Just episode number 150 of this podcast. Unbelievable. And they said it wouldn't go past 140, but yet here we are. All the naysayers, Vegas, Haters. they had an ending at 140. Yeah. <laughs> little do they know that we can do as many shows as we want because. <laughs> and the great thing is we don't even care if anyone's listening. That's just, <laughs> it's nice. It's nice, but uh, we would do the show anyway. Well, it's great because this being a big, a big episode, number 150, we asked for some user input and we got quite a bit of it. So we've got a lot of user driven content for this episode that we're going to get to once we get through BP. But let's first, Mark, it would really suck. Like if you're going for your 3000th hit, but you don't warm up properly and then you get hurt and you have to leave the game before you can get that hit. Let's warm up yeah. properly. Good call. Let's head into BP. So, Mark, first of all, while editing last week's show, uh, during Waxpax Heroes, we pulled Jamie Wright, and I described him as a non-lefty. <laughs> I am now proposing from here on out that all right-handers shall now be referred to as non-lefties. I, I don't think you're going to get that past the majority in the vote. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if righties will give up their name. You know, <laughs> maybe, just, maybe just pitchers will call non-lefties. Non-lefties. Well, you know, I've heard that described in a uh, political sense, but we won't get into that. So, Mark, episode 150, as we mentioned earlier, I got curious as to know, okay, 150 is a landmark number for a baseball player. So I wanted to go I wanted to go batting and I wanted to go pitching. So batting, I thought of 150. How many players have hit exactly 150 home runs in their career? I like your thinking. You've got to be pretty good to stick around long enough to hit 150. Plus, you've got to be good enough that you have the ability to hit 150 home runs. Out of the, out of the tens of thousands of players that have played in the big leagues, how many do you think recorded exactly 150 home runs? Oh, man, you're giving me a wide open guess here. Um, I'm going to go with 96. Well, you're 92 off. Four players have hit exactly 150 home runs. Surprisingly, they're all very modern players. So the four players in no particular order here that ended their career with exactly 150 home runs, Grady Sizemore, Kevin Euclid, the Greek god of walks, Mike Lieberthal, and Schwan Dunstan. Yeah, I know all those guys. Yeah, I did too. I had to go back and I actually expanded my search to say, okay, show me between 155 and 145 just to make sure that I wasn't missing something here. But yeah, only four guys and all four of them, modern players, had ended with 150 home runs to their career, to their credit. So now let's flip it to pitching and let's look at 150 wins, which is in the same category. You got to be around quite a while to get that many wins and also to be good enough to get that many wins. So I'm going to ask you the same question. How many players do you think ended their career with exactly 150 wins? Well, I'm going to go lower than 96 this okay. time. I'm going to go with five. Well, now you're only one off. Once again, the number ah. is four. <laughs> Two of them are our modern players. Both Rick Porcello and Jared Weaver ended with 150. Mm. The other two, Dizzy Dean and somebody I've never heard of, Rube Benton. Rube Benton. No, no, me neither. 1910 to 1925 ended up with 150, 144 mark. Had several seasons with double digit wins. Likewise, several seasons with double digit losses. He was he was a workhorse. He wasn't particularly great. He ended up with a 3.09 ERA, though, for his career, which is very impressive, but only a 102 ERA plus. So that kind of tells you he was pretty much average 
or when he was around. Never went to the playoffs. I checked that. He he went to the playoffs with the Giants in 1917, but they lost the World Series. Kind of average numbers for, for that time, but a long career, 15 years in the big league. So maybe this podcast might be around for 15 years. I don't know. Hey, let's hope so. All right. Not a great week for pop culture this last week. A couple of more deaths. It always seems the first month of the year, a lot of uh, celebrities die. I think that's just because they're like, oh, let me get to the new year. And then they just they're out. But a couple of a couple of deaths. One, though, of note when it comes to baseball, and that is the unfortunate passing of Meatloaf. He was in a lot of movies, too. He was. Uh, I think he was in Rocky Horror Picture Show, but. He was mm-hmm. also in Spice World, so let's not forget about that. I think he was Fight in Club. Fight Club. Yeah, there is a song, one of his most well-known songs, "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," and there is an interlude in the song, which leading up to it, there are uh, several verses. It's just he's repeating, "We're going to go all the way tonight." Just keep that in mind. But there is an interlude in this song, about three and a half minutes in, where Mister Phil Rizzuto appears. In a meatloaf song, Mr. Loaf recorded, well, he didn't record, he wrote a bunch of fictitious play-by-play and got Phil Rizzuto to go ahead and, 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 and say these things because it sounded just like a normal fictional play-by-play. Well, unbeknownst to Scooter. But uh, now announced to us. Definitely now announced to us. These phrases were all used as a sexual metaphor. So uh, let's just go ahead and you can listen to a little bit of it. Okay. So this just this goes on for another like 30 seconds. Obviously, it's uh, it's using the bases as uh, the uh, I guess in, in pop culture, everybody knows what getting to second and third and home is. So that's wait, what uh, that's wait, what that wait, song well, is. Not everybody, man. But oh. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I guess. OK, I, I understand why you don't. It's just anybody yeah. with experience Little knows. Help. You know what that means. Mr. Loaf, also a big baseball fan, as I mentioned, a lifelong Yankees fan. In some of his albums, he actually thanked Yogi Berra and Don Mattingly in the liner notes. He also sang the national anthem before the 1994 All-Star Game in Pittsburgh. And looking at the video of this performance from 1994, dead ringer for John Cruck at this time. <laughs> they, got, they could have switched uniforms. They could have because he had the mullet. He's not particularly looking like an athlete, but rather like more like a baseball player. Just mm-hmm. spot on dead ringer for, for John Cruck at that time. You know, another thing I remember about Meatloaf is that if there was a celebrity softball game. Oh, yeah. You could pretty much count on him playing. I found a ton of pictures of him in some very tight fitting uh, softball <laughs> jerseys. <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate. He, uh, he did uh, pass away. From uh, a couple of things, I think, but one of them, he was definitely fighting with COVID. So please get vaccinated, people. We, we need our listeners. I wanted to talk about consistency, too. So, uh, you know, everybody marvels. Remember Chris Davis? He hit 247 for four consecutive seasons. Very cool. Very hard to do. Not done on purpose, obviously. But there are some other players that I think have done some equally impressive things. And some of them were over four consecutive seasons as well, which makes it very impressive. One of those, Dale Murphy. From 1982 to 1985, he appeared in 162 games all four years in a row. And get this, he hit 36, 36, 36, and 37 homers. Wow. I mean, you sign him to a contract, you know what you're getting at that point. So... You could just rattle off, look, we'll pay you 40 grand per home run. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got it set up. Uh, also, Adam Dunn, one of, one of the mayors, 
Seasons 2005 through 2008. So four years in a row. 40 home runs. 40 home runs. 40 home runs. 40 home runs. Again, very consistent. You got you to gotta love that if he's on your team. It's got to be a contract clause. Yeah. 40 home runs got him an extra million, you know. And he's, he's like me, you know, hey, I hit 40. Good. I'm good. I'm going to go up there and take my hacks now. Anything after that is, is just house money. You're swinging away hard. Right. Uh, a couple of uh, others. They're not over four seasons like those, but they are only in back to back. But the sheer quantity of numbers. Vinny Castilla in 1996 and 1997. Get this. 304 average. 40 home runs, 113 RBI, and four sacrifice flies in back-to-back years. <laughs> what? That's okay. crazy. I mean, the yeah. average is hard to do. The home runs is definitely hard to do. The RBIs to get that many is impressive, but let alone the same number. And then four sacrifice flies in back-to-back <laughs> It's years. like he just has a set amount and he uses them at the right time. Next, Tony Perez in 1976 and 1977, 32 doubles, six triples, 19 home runs, 91 RBI. Back-to-back seasons. Same exact numbers. Exact numbers. That's nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. Which do you think is more impressive? The, the Chris Davis hitting 247 for four consecutive years or any of these? Uh, only based on odds i think and we probably have listeners that do odds really well but it's kind of a hobby for me the odds of hitting the 247 because there's just such a great number of at bats and hits seems like the toughest one to me and and doing it three times in a row that's got to be some long long odds four times wow yeah, see, now i'm gonna go the other way because i think he lucks into hitting that 247 and 247 frankly if we're looking at batting average is is below average but then you look at somebody like Vinny Castilla, who hit 304, but had 40 home runs. And Chris Davis definitely had power. All those RBI. Or you look at Tony Perez with those extra base hits. I'm going to rank one of these other ones. I think the Vinny Castilla, to me, is frankly more, more impressive. It is incredible. Yeah. Okay, some news uh, out of the minor leagues. We're not, we're not even going to talk about robot umpires but we're going to talk about some names here the astros announced that they are changing the name of their triple a club the sugarland skeeters to the sugarland space cowboys i guess some people must call them the space cowboys some people call me the space cowboy yeah some call me the gangster of love I feel sorry for the first player that comes through who's named Maurice. Yeah, I can see that's the first thing I thought of too. Was when, boy, if my name was Maurice, I'd try not to get drafted <laughs> by the Astros. I mean, if you're a visiting player, okay, you're going to have to deal with it for, for a couple of games. But if you're right. a member of the Astros, you're going to get so tired of that joke. But <laughs> interesting. interesting. Yeah, I like it. Another note here on some rebranding. Your team, the Nippon Ham Fighters, are rebranding. Yes. Oh. I am actually all on board with this because Nippon has the worst uniforms in all of professional baseball. Well, that's kind of what I like them about them. They're a little kitschy. Well, the brown, the, the yeah. 90% brown uniform, I can do without. If you want to know what their new uniforms look like, uh, they're it's it's kind of a take on the Blue Jays. They are, there is one of their uniforms that has a, a small, thin stripe that is still brown. But now they're going to mainly go with the white and a darker blue than the than the, like the teal that they had. It's a different look. I am on board with it. I hate watching games, and it's Nippon, because their uniforms are just, they're not good. They're not. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I mean, I might have to uh, stock up on a few things. Yeah. Get, the, get those old ones while they're still available. Off the top of my head, do you realize that the KBL and the NPB are already in training for the new season? Oh, that feels good. That that just warms the heart a little bit right there. They went long because they, they played a full season, but they had COVID interruptions. But I know they, they always start as soon as the new year's over. They are, uh, they are training. There is baseball training as well as baseball being played elsewhere. Good to know. All right, trivia time. Mark asked a question last week. 
who was the last player to hit more home runs than the rest of their team combined? Do you have an answer? I am going to take a guess because just because he was known so ahead of his time for hitting home runs when other people didn't, I mean, I'm going to guess it's kind of a plain guess, but Babe Ruth. So the, the key here is the last player ah. to hit more home runs than the rest of their team combined. You're on the right path there. The answer is actually double X, Jimmy Fox. I'm not kidding. 1938, he hit 50, while the rest of his team hit a combined 48. <laughs> wow. So Jimmy hit 50 that year. The only other guy on the Red Sox that year that hit double digits was Joe Cronin with 17. After that, oh. not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> Cronin showed up for a little bit. The Sox that year did finish 88 61 and 1 for second place in the American League. Not a bad team, but Jimmy Fox, what a year he had this year. Did not lead the league in home runs, but he did lead the league in RBI, in walks. He won the batting title, led the league in on base, slugging, OPS, OPS plus, and total bases, and was named the MVP. That's probably good. Yeah. So he hit 50 home runs, 175 RBI, walked 119 times, hit 349. His on base was 462. <laughs> wow. He did register a year in 1929 of a 463 on base. And his lifetime on base percentage is 428. Yeah. So that he, is incredible. He got on base 43% of the time. That's ridiculous. I mean, that is just obviously a Hall of Fame career. But I mean, those are just some numbers that we don't actually look at all that often. So Jimmy Fox, the beast also. I know double X. I didn't know he was named the beast. All right. Uh, we did have a couple of people get the answer right for that one. Uh, let's see. Marco Sainz, Andrew Harner, Edward Adams, and Thomas Armstead all came in with that one. So congratulations to that. Trivia question for this week, Mark. So last year, Sean Murphy, catcher for the A's, not known of being fleet of foot, hit into a game-ending triple play against the Yankees in the Bronx on June 20th. The A's were down 2-1, to one, top of the ninth. Captain Sweat is in there for the Yankees, Chapman. And the A's have the bases loaded, nobody out. I'm feeling pretty good. I remember this game. I'm like, all right, we're, we're, we should at least get one run out of this situation. And then this happened. Grounded to third. Out at third. Out at second. And that's a triple play to end the game. Not cool there, Sean Murphy. Not cool at all. Regardless, my question for you, Mark, and everybody else is, when was the first recorded triple play turned to end a ball game? Ooh. So this is going to take some, this is going to take some research. For sure. Because it took, well, I don't know. It took me a while to figure this one out. <laughs> so <laughs> somebody will probably know it off the top of their head. Uh, the, the first recorded triple play to end a game. When was it? I'm going to guess that it's going to be before the one you just played us. Yes. <laughs> well, one of my other questions that I, that I had is how many triple plays have been turned to end a ball game? Ooh. So ground screw is going to come out. They're going to do their stuff, clean up this uh, confetti and, and all the other stuff that's fallen around the field for the uh, pregame activities. Mark, we ask our listeners to uh, start sending us some strange box scores because that's something that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Thought it might be fun to have listeners send us some odd box scores that we can talk about. And we did. We got a good handful of them here. So let's start to go through them. First of all, one of our regulars, Brian Krause, sent us this one. This is July 29th, 1989. It is two teams we are very familiar with. The Seattle Mariners at the Oakland Athletics. And the Mariners... Put a thumping on my A's this 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 game. 14 to 6 was the final. Randy Johnson with the win. Storm Davis took the loss for the A's. The odd thing about this game, and I, I think we've even talked about this once. Ricky Henderson officially zero for zero. Four walks, four runs scored, five stolen bases. 
<laughs> oh, Ricky. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I mentioned Randy Johnson got the win. He went six. Bill Swift came out of the pen and got a three-inning save, so we always like that. But five stolen bases in the game for Ricky. That was his career high for a game is five stolen bases. So no official ABs, but five stolen bases. Yeah, now that has been done quite a bit. Uh, Let's see, Tony Gwen did it early in his career. We talked about how he was blessed with speed, especially in his uh, early part of his career. Alex Cole has done it twice. Hmm. He of the MC Hammer-like glasses. But then you've got a lot of the the names you would expect to see here. Slide and Billy Hamilton. No, I'm wrong. Actually, that's wrong. This is the the modern Billy Hamilton did it in 2015. Jacoby Ellsbury. Let's see, Ryan Friel, Kenny Lofton. Um, just a bunch of names. Lonnie Smith, Davey Lopes, Amos Otis. A bunch of guys that you would expect to be included in this as well. Ricky only did it once. The record, though, for most stolen bases in a game is six. And it has been done five times in the history of the game. Carl Crawford was the most recent one to do it. He did it in 2009 against the Red Sox. Eric Young Sr. did it when he was playing for the Rockies in 1996. Otis Nixon in 91 with the Hammers. And then Eddie Collins of the Philadelphia Athletics did it twice within a week. Wow. In 1912. (laughs) Yeah, once against the Browns, once against the Tigers, he stole six bases in one game. That's That's a good week right there. Impressive. Yeah. He had 741 career stolen bases. Obviously a Hall of Famer, but looking at his numbers, let's see, 81 was as high in 1910 to lead the league. Just a bunch of stolen bases there. He played till 43, very similar to Ricky, but he didn't steal a bases last cup. Once he turned 40, he couldn't run. Yeah. Unlike Ricky. That that happened to me when I turned 15 10 yeah <laughs> uh let's see another thing i thought of there and, and i saw somebody say this and i had to i had to look it up ricky spent more days in his playing career as the all-time steals leader than not <laughs> that's impressive yeah so it he played longer after 939 than he did than it took him to get to 939 wow which is, uh, that's pretty impressive all right June 18th, 1953. I'm not sure if you worked this one or Mark or or not, Mark. This one was in Boston. No, I was uh, I was with spiders back then. Oh, in 1953. I don't think so. But the attendance was three thousand one hundred and eight. So you could make it up and and say you were there. Nobody's going to know. But uh, this game, the final score was twenty three to three. With the Red Sox beating the Tigers, the bulk of the damage was done in the bottom of the seventh when the Red Sox scored 17 runs. Yikes. (laughs) They ended up collecting 27 hits. Now, the oddest thing about this game, though, when Boston scored these 17 runs, Ellis Kinder got the win for the Red Sox. He was also credited with a blown save because he came in in the sixth inning and uh, gave up a run to tie it, and then they went on and scored uh, 20 runs in the next three innings for a well-deserved <laughs> that's, win. That's when you support your pitcher right there. Well, well done, you guys. All right, we've got another one. This one's sent in by a listener, Ryan Fielder, and uh, he wanted us to look at this game from June 3rd, 1988, the Cincinnati Reds at the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers were okay that year, 1988. Mm-hmm. Not sure. I kind of wiped that one from my memory. Final score, 13-5. to five. The Dodgers with the win. Bats were hot that day. The Dodgers had 22 base hits. Dennis Rasmussen took the brunt of it, the starter for the Reds. But the interesting thing here is of those 22 hits, every one of them was a single. Not a <laughs> single extra base hit by the Dodgers in this game. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> Looking at this, let's see. The top two guys in the order for the Dodgers, Steve Sachs and Mickey Hatcher, both went five for six. How's that for setting the table? <laughs> Sheesh. Then you look at Pedro Guerrero, three for four. Mike Marshall, three for four. Mike Sosha, two for four. Everybody hitting the ball, just not hitting it too hard, I guess. <laughs> 
I guess not. That's uh, that's quite a game. All right. Another one we got sent in, this one from Thomas Armstead. Philadelphia Phillies at the Chicago Cubs, May 17th, 1979. This is a game right here. The final score of this game, 23 to 22 in 10 innings. The Phillies scored in the 10th to win this game over the Cubs. 24 and 26 hits apiece. Pitcher's duel. Yeah, there is uh, there's a lot going on in this box score. A lot of big numbers here as well for both teams. Seven RBI by Bill Buckner. He went four for seven. Dave Kingman, both these for the losing Cubs. Dave Kingman went three for six with six RBI. So between Buckner and and Kong, 13 RBI. That is incredible. Looking at the Red Sox, they really spread it around. Bob Boone, your, your boy, had five RBI. Gary Maddox had four RBI. So did Mike Schmidt and Pete Rose for the Phillies. Just wow. That's a good week that a lot of these guys had in one game. This is true. All right. So thank you for that one. Uh, Let's see. Next, we have got a game that I know I was at, which is kind of weird that it is here. June 5th, 2013, the Chicago White Sox at the Seattle Mariners. Now, Mark, I don't remember if you were at this game or not, but I know I was. It was a day game. Started at 1240. Just a little background here. Day games during the week in Seattle, you want to, I mean, you always want a quick game, but you want to, you want to be able to get out of there. So before four o'clock, because around four o'clock, that's when traffic gets really, really bad. The I-5 traffic uh, becomes basically a parking lot. So you're, you're praying and hoping for a quick game. Yeah. It would easily take me over an hour, close to hour and a half to get home if I get stuck in that from at that point, Safeco Field. So this game went to extra innings. Went to extra innings, <laughs> tied at zero. Neither team could push a run across the plate. We go to the 10th. We go to the 11th. We go to the 12th. We go to the 13th inning, and it is still tied zero to zero. The White Sox put some runs on the board in the 14th. How many runs? They put up five runs in the 14th inning. And I remember going, oh, all right. It's a lot of runs, but that's fine. This game's going to get over. It's, you know, at this point, it's already 430. But I'm like, the sooner we can get out of here, the better. So what do your Mariners do, Mark? In the bottom of the 14th inning, they put up a five spot of their own. Yes. So after 14, we are tied at five. Finally, we get to the 16th inning. And the White Sox put two on the board and are finally able to nail it down. Addison Reed, he got the win. He didn't get a save because he got the win pitching those final three innings of the game. But <laughs> Can't get your own save. No. no. <laughs> Addison Reed and Hector Nuezi, they were in there. It's like you're pitching until something happens because that was uh, the, the bullpens had already been emptied. The amazing part is that it was all binary, all zeros, and then all of a sudden five followed by five. Yep. This is bizarre. Game took five hours and 42 minutes. So you actually missed traffic. It yeah, was- <laughs> well, I cut the tail end of it. But I definitely remember. Were you at this game? I was at that game. And I remember just going, I'm not going to drive home yet. And I, I went across the street and goofed off for a while and went home late. This might have been one of those games where our balls and strikes operator might have said, hey, can you take over? I'm going to leave. <laughs> it's it's not happen. That was a fun one to remember. Not fun to work so much, but oh, no. fun no. one to remember. It's fun to recall, but not to go through it the first time. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got another one here sent in the boss. Now, these aren't just all Mariners games on purpose, but <laughs> the Mariners in their history have been known to playing some wacky games. This one is September 2nd, 1996. So I was not in Seattle at this point, but Mark, you very well could have worked this game as well. Red Sox at the Mariners. It's a Monday night. The final score was nine to eight in 10 innings. So looking at the Mariners here, uh, let's see. A-Rod had a three-run homer. He contributed to the Mariners. Uh, Not a whole lot. Dave Hollins went two for four. The Mariners... Scraped together 10 hits. But the big thing here is that the Seattle Mariners were essentially beaten by one player. 
from the Red Sox. Mike Greenwell went four for five with nine RBI. That's a good day. That is a good week again. That's maybe a week and a half. But he drove in more runs in this one game than the entire Mariner team did in 10 innings. We speak very highly of Mr. Greenwell on this show. Yeah, we are fans of Mr. Greenwell here. But Mike, in this game, as I said, went four for five. He had a double and he had two home runs. One off of Bob Walcott and the other off of Bobby Ayala. They only had seven hits. Four of them were his. Amazing. Yeah, Darren Bragg went two for five. He's the only other guy that got more than one hit. Well, Reggie Jefferson, uh, he, he Reggie Jefferson had the only other hit in the game. Only three guys got hits for the for the Red Sox. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. OK, one more here. This is a Subway Series game, not the Subway Series World Series, but August 16th, 2017. And Mark, I sent you <laughs> I sent you a screenshot of this box score. Because this is incredible. The New York Mets were hounded with injuries at this point. So much so that they didn't have anybody that could really play third base or first base. So what they did is they stuck Travis Darno, the catcher Travis Darno, at third base to start the game. And as Drupal Cabrera was stuck at second base for this game. Well, what they did throughout the game is depending on the handedness of the batter, Cabrera and Darno would switch positions. <laughs> so they did this 19 times throughout the game. <laughs> so in this box score, it reads Travis Darno, third base, second base, third base, second base, third base, second base, so on and so forth, 19 times. And it worked because Travis Darno only had one ball hit at him the entire game. And he fielded it cleanly. Nice. It's uh, quite a box score. And yeah. uh, they got their sprints in going back and forth. All Definitely. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that is that it, it, if you were just playing a game and you just said, hey, everybody switch off. But for an official score, you have to record every yeah. single one of those times those guys switch Absolutely. off. Absolutely. So that, that box score actually has just second, third, second, third, just goes on and on and on. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it looks strange, too, in this box score. It's just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, and our final box score of the episode here. The box score looks pretty normal. June 21st, 1973, 2-1, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the New York Mets at Three River Stadium. The game was two and a half hours, six hits each. Not much going on here. No big pitching, you know, not a whole bunch of pitchers used. The reason that this box score is so interesting is because Bob Robertson hit into a game-ending double play to drive in the winning run. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Bob Robertson's up there. Tug McGraw is on the mound for the Mets here. Bases are loaded with nobody out. This sounds very familiar to the, to the A's game that we listened to earlier. Yeah. Bases loaded, nobody out. It's tied one-to-one. Robertson grounds to second base. The throw is home to force, uh, let's see, it was Gene Kleins is out at home. Then the catcher threw to second base and overthrew it into right field. Coming around to score was Dave Cash. And right as he scored, right after he scored, there was a, uh, a tag out on second base as Al Oliver, who was on first, went to second Ran back to first, and then once the ball got away, went back to second and got tagged out. But it was too late. Oh, goodness sakes. So Bob Robertson got credit for hitting into a double play, but because the second out was not a force, he got credit for the game-winning RBI. The walk-off RBI. <laughs> that is outstanding. There's uh, We got a great, uh, great response in terms of listeners sending us box scores. Those were fun to look through. All right, so we have gotten uh, some special requests here. Now, obviously, Wax Packs Heroes is one of the most popular segments of our show. We enjoy doing it. If you are a longtime listener, you realize that the first, I don't know however many episodes it was, there were no Wax Packs Heroes. That's something that we had talked about for quite a while, but we hadn't incorporated it yet. And we actually ended our show with a segment that was called uh, Second Best. Your Second Best. 
most of the rest Not better than number one Number one is better than anyone Wow, I mean, Ruben Sierra has nothing on the guy that we got to do that. That is... No, that guy, that guy is a... Has he been nominated for, like, many awards? Yeah, I think, I think there was a Razzie that uh, was <laughs> awarded. Yeah, and well-deserved. <laughs> but, you know, coming up on show 150, we have gotten a couple of requests to maybe bring back Second Best every now and then. And if you're unfamiliar with Second Best, what it is, we get a topic. First of all, Mark and I will, will come up with what we think the best answer is for that. But then we like to come up with what's the second best. Because everyone talks about, oh... Yeah, Ricky mm-hmm. Henderson's the greatest base stealer of all time, but who's the second best? Right. You can say Luke Brock, you can say Slide and Billy Hamilton, you know, so on and so forth. So beyond asking for some crazy box scores, which you all sent us and we appreciate it, we also asked for some second best topics. And we got some. So Mark, are you ready to uh, to do this? I, I probably am. Probably. So let's give it a shot. Yeah, all most right. likely. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go ahead. Some of these topics were sent in by our listeners. Let's see what we can come up with here. First of all, from listener John McGovern, the second best topic suggestion here is the second best perfect game ever thrown. Wow. So you got to go through and, and think about the, the best perfect game ever thrown. What can we call that? Harvey Haddix's best perfect game ever thrown? Well, I'm going to tell you what my my favorite, well, not my favorite, I think the best perfect game for me has got to be Don Larson. Okay, that's my other one. Yeah, <laughs> it, the 1956 World Series, because not only are you throwing a perfect game, but you're doing it in the World Series. Clutch, just clutch. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put Don Larson as the best perfect game. So now we got to come up with the second best. Yeah, I'm not going to go with the... Uh... White Sox guy threw, allowed four runs or <laughs> walked everybody. Uncomparable Philip Humber. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about either Felix Hernandez or, or Randy Johnson because I was at those, but I don't think those are the second best perfect games ever thrown. Let's see. Our, our, our the, uh, the listener who sent this in. John McGovern says that their pick is Dallas Braden, which, hey, I'm on board with Dallas Braden. That was a A's. It was uh, also that I remember that was on Mother's Day and his grandmother, who I believe raised him for the most part, was in the crowd. So it was it was especially special, if that's uh, such a thing. Um, You know what? I'm going to here. Here's what I'm going to go. And I am looking these up. I'm going to have to go with Lee Richmond. Now, okay. <laughs> Lee Richmond looks like he has thrown the first perfect game in uh, in the history of the game, June twelfth, eighteen eighty. The Cleveland Blues were no hit by uh, Lee, a member of the Worcester Worcesters. Hey. I think that's probably the Worcester Worcesters. But uh, the reason that I am uh, I am choosing this beyond being the first. Uh, one in the history of the game. The uh, time of game was an hour and 26 minutes, which uh, as a scorekeeper, that's good. And the umpire was uh, Foghorn Bradley. Nice. So that's that's my answer to uh, the second best no-hitter ever thrown. It's Lee Richmond. Your second best. See, that's a stinger. It's <laughs> very <laughs> And it goes on Man. forever. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, we're getting crazy audio stuff in here. This shows you it's more professional every oh, week. Oh, yes, very professional. All right, next we've got uh, one from longtime listener Andrew Harner. Second best Hall of Famer. Ooh, that's tough. So, I mean, are we going to say that our favorite, hall, the, the best Hall of Famer is Nolan Ryan or Ricky Henderson? I wouldn't make that argument. So, so no, I can't say that. Yeah, I, I don't think They're I would my favorite. Say that. You know, yeah, I, I don't say I wouldn't say that Ricky is the best Hall of Famer, right? He's certainly one of. Yeah. So who 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 do you, who are you listing as your favorite Hall of Famer? My favorite or the best? You're right. My who favorite is Nolan listing, Ryan. Who are you listing? <laughs> who are you listing as the best Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, he's synonymous with baseball. Babe Ruth. I, I don't think you can go wrong with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think Babe Ruth or. or Ty Cobb have, have got to be kind of the two and, and, and Cy Young. I mean, those are mm-hmm. 
those are all one A, one B, and one C. So now we've got to come up with who is the second best Hall of Famer. Hmm. And High Pockets Kelly is not the answer. Uh, but what a name. I know what my answer is. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I, I got to go with a, with a 2A and a 2B. I'm going to go with Willie Mays and Jackie Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. Both amazing choices. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anybody could get mad at those. I'm yeah. sure somebody will and they'll tell us, but yeah, I, I was going to go with Jackie as well. So I, because Jackie's impact on baseball is immeasurable. All right, there you go. Yeah. Jackie Robinson, you are the second best hall of famer. You're second best. It never gets old. That probably does. All right. Uh, another one here. Uh, second best baseball card set. Ooh, so man. The best baseball card set is, in my opinion, it's the '88 Flair, mm. red, white, and blue, white border. Okay, I am, yeah, I love uh, that one. I am. Uh, I think the best baseball card set is the 1987 Tops because I love the wood grain. Mm-hmm. Always will, always have. Likewise, the 19, I think it was the 1962 Tops had the wood grain as well, but I don't, I don't like it as much. So, uh, what is what is the second best? Set. Well, I obviously am a Fleer guy because the 87 Fleer with the silver diagonal lines on it. I always like that one a lot. All right. You're you are. You're a you're a Fleer fanboy is what you are. And Fleer is no more. Well, <laughs> basically, none of them are anymore. But oh boy, uh, it's all it's all changed now. Yeah. And, you know, we are we're, we're suffering some recency bias here because. Yes. We're, we, we're not as familiar with the older vintages. Uh, but yes, I, I would like to go third best, the 1908 uh, T206 tobacco cards. I think those are wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, my answer is uh, the 1989 Upper Deck. Because, oh. I mean, the first year for Upper Deck, obviously you got the Griffey in there. So I'm, I'm, sticking, with the, uh, I'm sticking with the 1989 Upper Deck just because it changed the game. And that it did. Everyone had to up their game after that. Everybody had to come up with special like stadium club. Well, and just or the clear ultra. The the quality of the photography, the quality of the card went to high gloss after that. Yep. Just great. So I'm going to I'm going to go with the 1989 upper deck and you're going with the 1988 Fleer? 1989 Fleer. Yep. Is my second That's that's what I said. So 19 19- both of you, congratulations. You <laughs> your second best. Alright, another one here. Uh the second best stadium you've been to that is no longer in use. Oh geez. So what would be the first what would be the best stadium that you have been to that is no longer in use? I, I was at uh, the old Texas Stadium, which I liked. Ooh. <laughs> you survived it too. That was hot. Yes, it was. Um, but I think my second best has to come back to uh, home and be the kingdom. All right. So you've chosen two stadiums that were known as the Oakland Coliseums of their day <laughs> as That's the right. best. <laughs> well, I don't think I've been to any other non-stadiums. Ah, got it. All right. So let me let me think here. Um, I mean, if we say the best in terms of they were the nicest I would have to say old Jack Murphy Stadium with the mm-hmm. Padres. But I mean I I was at the I I'd been to old Yankee Stadium which just the history going and seeing the monuments out there and in, in there in that park I've been to Shea that was a I actually ran into a rat while I was at that Ooh. game. Um Candlestick was not a nice park but that's where I went to my first game the Kingdom obviously was it was not going to make this list for me. I'm I'm going to go. Actually, you know what? The nicest was was probably the uh, the Rangers uh, Arlington Park or mm-hmm. whatever they called it before they had to move to their newest new one. That was yes. the nicest. But I'm going to go with the Yankee. I'm going to go with Yankee Stadium. Old Yankee Stadium is being number one. So now the second best. You you mentioned it being the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to go with Jack Murphy for me after after the rangers so both of those you have been labeled your second best. 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 
All right. Uh, a couple of more here. Uh, let's see. Thomas Armstead sent this one in. Second best unwritten rule. Ooh. Hmm. So we've talked a lot about unwritten rules here. We have not written them down because that would be frowned upon. But uh, what uh, what's what's your what is the best unwritten rule? Well, I, and it's one that we really abide by. I'm going by strength and value here. Do not speak during a no hitter. Don't talk about it. <laughs> All right. That's uh, that is a good one. We could hearken back to Dallas Braden that we mentioned earlier. And, you know, batters don't step on the pitcher's mound when you're running across the diamond. I was thinking of that one. Uh, how about just not stepping on the chalk when you go out to the... Oh, uh, yeah, you'd be Turk Wendell. Do yes. The, do the big leap. You know, one unwritten rule that I appreciate, though it doesn't have anything to do with a player, is that the umpire, when he brushes off the plate, goes and stands in front of the plate so as not to stick his rear end right at the fans behind home plate. <laughs> Yes, that's, and you know, and that reminds me of another kind of unwritten rule where let's say the umpire gets hit with the pitch or the batter needs extra time. The catcher gets thumped, you know, the umpire will go out and brush off the plate or they'll dilly dally around, maybe visit the mound, do whatever, you know, to, to give the player more time to recuperate. It's just something you do as a courtesy. And and it likewise goes the other way. If the umpire takes one, the catcher Mm -hmm. will generally go out and talk to the, uh, talk to the pitcher and give him a little bit of time yep. this little solidarity of the guys behind the plate that are getting pounded all the time yeah. <laughs> that's right that's a good one all right so let's uh I, I i'm on board with you let's uh let's do the the talking not talking during a no hitter is the first best unwritten rule what's the second it's the uh showing off that you are a real tough baseball player like if you get plunked you get hit by a pitch, you know, you can drop to the ground and be angry and stuff, but you can't rub the spot. <laughs> Rubbing the spot admits that he got you. He got me. Ow, it really hurts. You can't, you can't give him the satisfaction. In fact, sometimes you don't even want to dust yourself off. You just want to stand right back up there and go, eh, is that all you got? So, you know, the unwritten rule would be don't, don't rub the spot where you just got hit. Although if it's Nolan Ryan that hit me, I'm not even, not just going to be rubbing. I'm going to be screaming and crying like a baby. Yeah, I think this is probably the thing that led to me not being a professional baseball player. This this <laughs> alone, I could not do that. I I have to I have to rub it. Put a little dirt on there. No, I'm on board with you. I think uh I think not rubbing the spot after you've been hit by a pitch, that is definitely the second best unwritten rule. Your second best. All right, Mark, this one's near and dear to uh to me, I know. Second best mascot. Ooh. Wow. Well, you know, I, I have to lean towards the Philly fanatic as numero uno, just because he's the Philly fanatic. Okay. And, and who's the second best mascot? Can I, can, you know, it's tough not to throw the home favorite in there, but uh, I'm, I'm going to try and play it cool. And I'm going to go with uh, Yupi from the uh, Montreal Expos. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Everyone waiting for the Mariner Moose and no, you, you swerve and, and, <laughs> the retired oh, mascot. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got news for you, Mark. The, the you're wrong. Uh, the answer is there is no second or first best mascot because mascots all suck. Your second best. I hate mascots. All right, we're down to our last uh, last round here. Uh, this is second best is taking the place of Wax Packs heroes in this episode. If you have not noticed, so if you're hanging around for that, I hate to spoil your. Uh, your your good time but we've got two questions here one aimed at me and one aimed at you but we'll both answer them all right who is the second best now you and you can take a chance you can take a choice here the second best nolan or the second best ryan wow that is an excellent question nolan arenado of course comes to mind yeah, I could only think, I, I thought of Arenado and I had one other that I think I would vote for as being the second best Nolan. And that would be the only Nolan. And I can't, I can't say Ryan Sandberg because it's Ryan. So I, I'm stuck I, there. I, I will allow it if, if you want. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Ryan Sandberg is one pretty impressive Ryan. <laughs> yeah, he really was. Uh, some other answers I came up with for Ryan, Ryan Howard, uh-huh. Ryan Klesko. Ryan Braun. 
None of those better than Sandberg and obviously none of them better than Nolan Ryan, but just some other Ryans that struck me. Some possibilities. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So then this one was aimed at me. The second best Ricky. I know what my answer would be. It'd be uh, Ricky Nelson. Oh, it has to be baseball. Wasn't he a singer? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Sorry about that. Yeah. So I have, I definitely have my answer. The second best Ricky for me is Branch Ricky. Uh-huh. See what I did? Another legend. There. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. The other Can't Rickies I came up with who are not spelled the same way. There is no E in their name. Ricky Jordan. Okay. Ricky Lede and Ricky Batalico. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that name in a while. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to, but I, I thought of all three of those without even having to look those up. Those are, those are the Rickies, but those are all, again, R-I-C-K-Y, which triggers right. me. Right. I know. I've accidentally said it before and you had to take your meds. Yeah. You don't know how many social media fights I get in because I, I just have to say, you know, hey, you know, he's the greatest of all time. Spell his name right. That's right. All right. Well, that is going to uh, that's going to wrap up our uh, second best. retro version of second best for all of those that are waiting for us to bring that back. Uh, if you have got some topics for second best, don't be afraid to shoot them to us. We'll uh, every now and then we'll do another second best. We'll try to do it before episode 300. You, you never know. They'll just they'll just pop yes, up. That's right. Let's start to wrap up the show here again. Episode number 150. We super duper appreciate everybody listening. I know that there are uh, some listeners out there who are gluttons for punishment and have listened to every single episode. And uh, we sincerely appreciate that. We appreciate the interaction that everybody gives us. We love to talk baseball. So whenever you uh, have something on your mind, you can reach us many different ways. We are on social media all over the place. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise. Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. Mark, we need to do another watch along here sometime in the very near future. Um, yes. You can find Those us are on- fun. Yeah, they, they, they are. And uh, also some YouTube videos. Uh, all of this, you can find links to all this stuff in the show notes. Mark, there is also an email address there. Sure, you can electronically mail us at 2StrikeNoise, spell it out, T-W-O, noise at gmail.com. Mark, uh, we have a big champagne celebration later tonight we got to get ready for. So uh, we're going to go ahead and <laughs> wrap it up. But uh, yeah, this was fun. A lot of good box scores, a lot of good second best make us work and think about things for a while. So uh, we appreciate everybody sending those in. And uh, we will see you on episode 151, which will be the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for being travel